1: Jan Moran is a USA Today best-selling author with a slew of 20th century standalone historicals as well as several women's contemporary fiction series to her credit. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and in today's binge reading episode Jan talks about how she moved from being a successful beauty care entrepreneur to full-time novelist and why she loves to write strong independent characters who are striving to build lives that make a difference. We're delighted to have Jan's Christmas story, Seabreeze Christmas from her Seabreeze In series as one of the featured books in our 12 Days of Christmas giveaway. This is our way of saying thank you to you, our listeners and readers, for your support and encouragement in a tough year for all of us. We're giving away four Christmas holiday reads, two contemporary, two historical, from four featured authors in our holiday reading bundle. That's four books given to four lucky listeners over four weeks. Enter now on the Joys of Binge Reading website or on our Binge Reading Facebook page. The offer closes December 19, so don't miss out. Links to the giveaway and to Jan's books uh, in the show notes for this episode on the com, But now, here's Jan. Hi there, Jan. It's so good to have you with us. Welcome to the show. Oh,
2: hello, Jenny. Love to be here with you. Thank you. Now, let's just get the geography
1: set. I'm in Auckland, New Zealand. I think you're in California.
2: We're in California. Yes, I'm in Southern California. Great. in yes. uh, Los Angeles and... Uh, San Diego, and over to Palm Springs. So that's my that's my area. Great. Look, you're a USA
1: Today best-selling author with multiple series, as well as standout historical fiction and nonfiction to your credit. You, you're really what other people would look at and say is the complete author package. But they
2: always love to know, how did you get started on that road? Oh, my goodness. You know, I think it began... As, as a child I was always an avid reader and I began to write as a young girl too fast forward a few years I studied at the University of California in Los Angeles their writers program and went for my MBA as well but after that shortly after I really began my pursuit of this career and although I did a few other things in the interim as well and you know. Some authors, while they might start young, I, I really am glad that my books came out a little bit later because I was able to to bring in such a wealth of experience that I've had. So that's given me stories that I can mine for
1: many, many years. Yeah, that's fabulous. Now, your latest historical fiction, you've done the standalone historicals as well as the series, but the latest historical that you're publishing at the moment is the chocolate Chocolatier. Chocolatier. Yes, and it's a dual timeline story set between post-war US and Italy with a marvellously twisty emotional plot. It really does keep you on the edge of your seat. A newly widowed war bride discovers that the man that she married just almost immediately after the war, when everything's over, she just suddenly discovers she knows very little about him when he dies suddenly. Now, don't want to give away any plot points, but... It's a
2: great pl- platform to, to launch a story from. Oh, well, thank you. It was such a, a delightful novel to write. And, of course, research as well, as you can imagine. That particular one I wrote for my editor in Germany, Goldman. People ask, well, do you write in German? No, I don't. <laughs> but it's translated, my historicals are translated into Quite a few languages, but the chocolatier was one that I've been dying to write for a long, long time, and I saw that as really the third in my what I call my sensory collection from the perfumer, uh, scent of triumph, to the winemakers, to the chocolatier, and all of these are <clears throat> based on gifts of nature, you know, wine, chocolate, perfume, these all emanate from our our earth. And I just, I love writing about agriculture and and the luxury goods that we think of these as, that we we bring forward. And so this particular one starts under the uh, Ghirardelli sign in San Francisco, the the brilliant sign, which was there during the uh, the fifties when this ta- when this begins, and then from there to Amalfi, the beautiful shores of Amalfi, just a lovely, lovely area of Italy, and then of course I take readers on mountain trek in Peru. But I loved researching it, and I had the opportunity to meet and learn from. A Venezuelan chocolatier who's living in San Diego, co-founder of Chihuahua, which is fabulous artisan chocolate that's actually gone very, uh, very wide here in the States. And then, of course, French Valrona. Valrona invited me in to meet with uh, a trio of Peruvian cacao farmers. So I was able to do some marvelous, marvelous firsthand research there and uh, several others. So it was just a, a wonderful experience. And there is a family secret at the heart of that, as there is with so many of my books. I love that bit of mystery, history, family secrets. I love to write about sagas, particularly the immigrant story, about what we what a character might have left behind in the old country. And back then, you know, it was easier. Before we had Facebook following us around the world, it was easier to to go to another country and to recreate yourself. Well, whatever you left behind, does that have a bearing on the future? And as you'll see in many of my books, the answer is yes, it does indeed.
1: Yeah, that's great. I was going to comment on the family secret. I think we all love family secrets, actually. We just find them irresistible and practically every family has them, you know, maybe to a greater or lesser degree. Look, that, a number of your books are set in the 50s and 60s and you say that you particularly love that era. What's the attraction for you of that time period?
2: Mm, you know, I think that my mother and my grandmother, I remember their stories of those periods of time. My mother, she was married in the 40s. My father was a pilot based in Newfoundland and used to ferry planes from North America to England via Greenland. And so I really have a fascination with that period. So many of my books, 50s, a flashback to the 20s or the 40s, a simpler time in many ways, but also uh, because of the lack of communication, you know, and it was often easy to lose track of people. I think that's often a very good plot twist as well. But it was a time when women were, were really on the emergence. There was a seismic cultural shift going on. While the men were away at war, you know, the women were, were working, they were holding down the fort, they were, and then afterwards, either through circumstance or choice, you know, many of them continued in the workforce and laid the the groundwork for where we are today. So I write about women who were very who are very determined, who are creative, but who are and who are resilient, and they're forging their own path. So that's what you'll find in uh, a common thread throughout all my books. Yeah, yeah.
1: Look, you've got a new historical coming out next month, I think, which sounds just fantastic hepburns necklace it's called and it's based around the set of the classic 1953 hepburn movie roman holiday that's a that's a classic film how did you research that one and what attracted you to it as a as a story idea
2: Oh, well, it was one of my favorite movies. Uh, it has been for many, many years. And I grew up in Texas, but I, and then went to school in Boston and moved to Los Angeles. And my husband at the time, my then husband was, his family was from Los Angeles and had been very immersed in the film industry. So they counted a lot of people as friends. The Marx Brothers, Frank Sinatra, I don't like name dropping, but but this was just you know, they were their neighbors and friends and, you know, club members. And so, and they were, you know, they were hardworking entertainers at that time. And so I got to know and hear a lot of the stories. And I knew William Wyler, the director of the film. And there were a lot of stories about Audrey Hepburn, who was just one of the most charming, kind souls. And of course, she had been through so much during, during the war. And she was a, a ballet dancer, which I was also brought up dancing. My mother was in the Houston Ballet, studied under the great Koczatovsky from Ballet Russe, who also <laughs> trained Gene Kelly. So there are all these connecting threads. And Audrey used to have these clandestine ballet performances where she would raise money for the resistance and people, you know, they couldn't clap and, you know, they were very silent. And and I thought about, you know, the, the kind of person, the kind of young girl who would do that. She was barely a teenager at the time. And then as she went on through life, her humanitarian work, all of it, I, I just, I've always thought of her as such a ray of sunshine. And so to write about her was such a joy. But the story isn't about her, it's about another young actress, Ruby Rains, who is from Texas and my first Texas heroine. So she was very, very close to my heart. And the story begins on the set of Roman Holiday on a scorching summer in 1952 in Rome. Uh, and that was the first film, American film, filmed entirely in Rome, in Italy. And so it was quite the happening in Rome, you can imagine. And then in the present day, I bring it back to an older Ruby and her great niece or grand niece, and I take them from Los Angeles, Palm Springs, to Lake Como, Lago di Como, which is just one of my most favorite places on earth. Beautiful, beautiful area. So that story was, although it was conceived prior to the pandemic, a great deal of the writing took place at that time. And I, I think I call these my pandemic books, some of these. And uh, I really wanted to make these extra heartwarming. And that's the kind of book that it is. I can't wait to share it with people. Yeah, sounds gorgeous. You've
1: generously agreed to let one of your Christmas books, Seabreeze Christmas, from the Seabreeze Inn series, be included in our 12 Days for Christmas
2: giveaway. And we're, we're absolutely delighted about that. Have you written Christmas stories before? No, this is actually my first one. And so there I was by the pool in Los Angeles, sipping my hot chocolate, And uh, listening to Christmas music, and then I'd take a break and take a dip in the pool. (laughs) You know, It was such fun. It reminded me of, oh, you know, there's an old story about White Christmas that was the song, which was written by the pool in La Quinta, California, or Arizona, depending on which story, maybe both, you know. But I, I just loved it. And I've had so much positive response from readers on it. And I'm already planning one for next year as well. Christmas stories really touch our hearts, our memories, you know, how we wish life could be all the time. So there's just so many cherished memories that people have associated with the holidays.
1: Yeah, and it's especially so this year, isn't it? People have a feeling of wanting to somehow grab back some of that warm, secure feeling that we used to have before the pandemic struck. (laughs) Oh, yes. And we will have again, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a bit about now your series, the Seabreeze series, for example.
2: How do, What was the genesis for that? Well, I was walking on the beach in Southern California. My one beach I like in particular, Moonlight Beach, which is very much a, a family sort of beach in North San Diego County, uh, Encinitas. And I, I walked on the beach and I was dream trying to, to plot and dream up stories, as I often do. And I thought, well, why don't I just set one right here, right in my own backyard. And in this one, I also aged up my heroines. So in my historicals, my heroines are often in their mid to late 20s, early 30s, but I always have very strong secondary characters. So the in the winemaker, for example, the mother is just as much of a heroine as the daughter is, who the story revolves around. But in this one, I I wanted to age her up. So she's 45. She's newly widowed. She's every woman, as I say. She's every woman. She's, you know, has a little bit of a muffin top around the middle. um, And she doesn't really care as long as she's, you know, healthy and strong. She, you know, she accepts her aging. And she has two daughters, one in college, bit spoiled, another one just out of college. And so these are things that, you know, so many of my friends have dealt with, I've dealt with. And uh, we're the sandwich generation, you know, between our grown children and, and our parents. And in the story, she becomes very worried about her mother. But her mother is a very vibrant 70-something and her parents. And and so I love this one. I bring in the whole family. And she has a sister, a a very artsy sister. She's a horticulturist. Ivy is an art teacher. So these women, it's really about them recreating their lives in midlife. And those choices, sometimes they're ones we make. Other times they're forced upon us. And so I wanted to follow two women who are recreating their lives. And the backdrop is this historic house. And it was designed by the first licensed female architect in California, Julia Morgan, who also, she did a lot of important work up and down the coast of California. But the, the house is just as much a character in these stories because the the former owner was an art collector and from Europe and so what sets these beach stories apart from others i think and that readers have gravitated toward is that there's a lot of history and mystery in it too they're not mysteries but there is there's some discoveries let's say that go on. yeah and yeah. that's what i really enjoyed you know bringing my historical background into these stories as well
1: so did, does that house
2: actually exist? No, no, it doesn't, uh, nor does Summer Beach. Unfortunately, I've had people Googling and saying, oh, I really want to visit Summer Beach. Where is it? And it's, it was really a mashup between, yeah. you know, La Jolla, Encinitas, Laguna Beach. But there are a lot of older homes that are built along the California coast that I drew inspiration from. I've actually, I haven't
1: finished the first book, but it's a very intriguing beginning. I always love these beginnings where somebody's husband dies and then they discover that they've done a whole lot of things they had no idea about. And she actually inherits that house from her husband's estate without
2: even realising that he bought it, doesn't she? Yes, he drained their retirement account. But, you know, unfortunately, this is... Uh, a story that has happened before. <laughs> so, Yeah, that's right. Every woman's nightmare probably. But <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's going to happen. I haven't, I don't know quite how it turns out yet because I'm not finished it, but it's got a great beginning. <laughs>
2: well, Ivy is uh, very resourceful and very resilient and, you know, nothing, nothing holds her down. So... <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's great, and just like the heroines of your other series, which I became quite addicted with, I've, I've confessed to you that I listened to them through the night on audio on on more than one occasion. The Love California series, which they, they're rather more contemporary and younger women and more racy, probably in terms of the lives that they lead, because it's a contemporary setting. But a group of entrepreneurial women who are all looking for both business success and love, kind of in a parallel steps in, in in industries like perfume and skincare and fashion. So there's plenty of chances for really some fascinating settings and, and, and setups. Have you been have you been asked for any more of these? I, I think they're quite addictive books.
2: Yeah uh, yes yes I have and as with Seabreeze the Summer Beach series that started off as a trilogy and then readers wanted more so i was i was thrilled to to go at the acceptance and to be able to go back into that world and write again so it grew from three to five. Now the Coral Cottage is also set in Summer Beach and I have merged the characters. So one of the women in Coral Cottage is Ivy Bay's best friend from Seabreeze Inn. So there's still some interaction, very much like uh, Debbie McComber does in her world. So I really enjoyed that. And so the Love California series, that stands at six books right now. And I may add another special to that. Uh, again, if I hear from readers that they're enjoying it, then it's something that I'll go back to. But yes, I have. I really enjoyed writing that series as well. that That series follows very much my my own experiences: moving to Los Angeles as a young woman, you know, looking for full of ambition and and looking for you know a new life and. And many of my friends in, in Los Angeles are in the creative fields, as I was myself. I have a background in the beauty industry, and I created a couple of touchscreen technologies that I eventually sold to Sephora. But that took me around the world. I started the company, created, you know, along with a team of software developers, created this, it's called the Fragrance IQ and Skin IQ. And I ended up selling that to Sephora. But before I sold the company, I had it in Sephora stores in Europe and the US, in the duty-free stores. And Hong Kong and the Middle East and just all over. So that was my life for a while. And it was a lot of fun, a lot of hard work. You know, these glamorous industries, they look like so much fun on the outside, but really on the inside, it's a lot of work. So I, as I was flying, you know, transatlantic, transpacific flights, I can only watch so many movies. And I, I had a hard time sleeping on the plane at that time. So I would pull out my notebook and start writing. And that's where many of these stories grew from. So one thing about the Love California series, too, <clears throat> is that each book... Now, it's those are standalone books. Unlike the Seabreeze, sea the Summer Beach series, which is a, a longer-running series, these are standalone books, starting with Flawless. And each one of those, I take the readers on a journey. So it might be Paris or Spain, Sydney, Monaco. You'll get front row seats at New York's Fashion Week or or the Formula One races in Monte Carlo. And, and so I just, I just love that. You know, it's it's fun. It's all the fun things that we want to do in life. But at the heart of each one of these stories is a woman's journey. And in each one of those stories, her dream is dashed. <laughs> I won't say too much. But You know, life doesn't always turn out the way we plan, but it's what we do after that that I think is the interesting story. So each one of these women go on a journey and come out the other end really with a life. It may not be the life they wanted in the beginning, but it's the life that they embrace. It's the life that they were meant to have. So I, I do believe in a bit of kismet as well. And that's at the heart of many of those stories. Great fun to write.
1: Yeah. It's interesting how often kismet comes up in them actually. Yes. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's there's a wonderful common escapist glamour in them all too. I think it's it's almost like it's, it's a reflection back to the 80s, sort of the Jacqueline, Susan or those types of stories, isn't it? But reframed for the 21st century.
2: Yes, well, I grew up reading, oh, you know, a, a lot of Jackie Collins and Danielle Steele, I think. Yeah, many of us yeah, did, yeah. You know, our Airplane Reads. Shirley yeah.
1: Conran, yeah. Yes,
2: yeah. yes. It was, it was great fun. But I think some that really touched my heart, Barbara Taylor Bradford, A Woman of Substance, you know, remains one of my all-time favourite books. And that heroine, Emma Hart, who, you know, is, is determined and will stop at nothing. So. so what was the book that you first published? Where did you begin with your publishing journey? Oh, yes. That was, it came out first as Scent of Triumph. And although the original name was The Perfumer, and I've just recently gone back to that, I'll explain that in a minute, but the, uh, this particular book was born, well, as I mentioned, I spent quite a few years in the beauty business. And yeah. so my research, I, I wrote a book called Fabulous Fragrances years ago, back in the 90s, and that book paved the way for this technology that I created for the beauty industry and so in the course of that i was researching all of these old brands that are still with us today many of them chanel estee lauder helena rubenstein you know how did they get their start well these were these weren't big brands at the time these were started by women and they were started at a time when when there weren't many women in the industry and there was one i was really fascinated too with the world war uh, two period and what happened to the uh, tour industry in Paris. At the time, most of them closed their doors. And we all know now that Chanel closed her atelier and moved into the Ritz and, you know, there are books about that. And she does make a cameo appearance in, in the perfumer. But I was fascinated by a particular woman, Germaine Salier. And she was a perfumer. Now, remember too, at the time in the 40s, it was a man's world in perfumery. And it was very rare for women to be perfumers. And But she was, and she created perfumes for a couturier, uh, Robert Piguet. And he was head of the Forget the name of it, but uh, head of the professional society at that time during World War II, and he stayed in business and was trying to keep jobs in Paris during the war. Keep you know all the seamstresses and the lace makers and all of the you know the beadwork, all of those people employed. And at the mean, and Nazis were trying to move the couture industry to Berlin, which is you know still a, a fashion center, but but they succeeded in, in keeping many of their people in Paris. Anyway, I was fascinated by all of this. Selye's perfumes are still around today. Fracas and Bondi. Fracas from 1948, Bondi from 44, from the height of the war. And so I was really inspired by this. And I said, my heroine has got to be a French perfumer. And it's got to be during World War II. And I had some personal knowledge of you know what things that people had gone through during the war, my family. And so I thought, this, this is the book. This is the one that I, I felt that that was the book. Even though I had written a couple of others, I felt that that was the one that would have a chance. And it did. Um, a senior editor at St. Martin's Press acquired it. And then it went on to be published in many languages as well. And that was truly a book of my heart that was probably 15 years in the making. And then after that, they acquired another book, The Winemakers. And that one, of course, set in California in Napa Valley during the 1950s. So another very strong uh, female protagonist. And those, those books were absolute joys to write.
1: That's great. So you started out in the standalone historicals and then graduated to the series a little later.
2: Mm. Yes, yes, I did. Mm. Mm.
1: Look, we'd better move on to talking a little about a bit about your wider career rather than focusing just on the books themselves. Is there one thing that you feel you've done more than any other that you'd see as the secret of your success and your longevity as a
2: writer? Well, I think... Uh, The main thing is that I just, I never stopped. (laughs) I I persevered. And even as an adult, having manuscripts that I would send out and pitch just over and over again. But each time I did, I learned something from it. And, you know, uh, Scent of Triumph, the perfumer, was 15 years in the making. But at the beginning of that time, it was nowhere near publication. So each time I submitted it, I learned something about the craft and I continued going to writers' conferences and just getting to know other writers. And it it truly is a craft. It took it took a long time for me to to reach publication. But I too I wasn't ready in my own life. And we we each follow a different path. So I'm very pleased with I wouldn't change a thing. So you're republishing that book aren't you? Is that Yes, yes, I did. The early part of this year, I noticed that it had fallen out of paperback and hardcover publication. And so my contracts, and when I, this is just a note to writers, that when I went into those contracts, I had a very, very good agent. And there was a clause put in there that I would, the rights would revert to me if sales of the of the print versions fell below a certain level. And so I exercised that and I brought those back because by then I felt very confident in the reader base that I had developed. And I knew that there was still a market for it. People were reaching out to me all the time asking if if where they could find it in print. And so I said, well, you know, I think I can manage that. And so I brought those back and, you know, they've sold more just this fall than, than they had for the last couple of years with St. Martin's Press. And, you know, I love St. Martin's. I had an excellent, excellent editor there, but, you know, we can, we can do more now. So I'm, I'm really a hybrid author. I still have a publisher in Germany, Random House, Goldman, but I keep those domestic rights and I'm able to publish those myself. And then, happily, The Winemakers has been optioned for a television series now. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean,
1: that period now, I mean, particularly Paris and the Second World War, there's lots of people doing stories based around that whole setting of the fashion industry during the... And, they, and they're all great to read. So I think that, actually, the time is probably
2: even riper for that book now than it was when you first published it, oh. Handled Right. Very, very true. In fact, when I first began pitching that book, it was before the huge popularity in recent years of World War II sagas. Yeah, And I remember yeah. one of the first agents I approached said, that's just a dead period in history. No one reads World War II sagas. There's no market for it. And of course, you know, trends changed. As a yeah. writer, it's important to be on top of those trends, but also to write, you know, the books that you feel like you're meant to write. Yeah. Professional writer, yes, we do pay attention to things like that. Yeah, yeah. Look, turning to Jan as reader. This is The Joys of Binge Reading. We like to cater
1: for people who enjoy genre fiction and introduce them to new authors that they might not have heard of. I imagine you have in the past been a binge reader, even if you don't have much time to binge read now. But so who do you like to read? Who have you liked to read in the past? And can you recommend
2: some favourites? Oh, yes. You know, as a child, I didn't realise I was a Well, I was an avid reader, but I was truly a series reader. I remember there was a book called uh, a series called The Happy Hollisters about an American family, and I just i I had an indulgent grandmother, and I think I must have had twenty or thirty of these books. They just went on and on, and I just loved being in that world. And so, yes, I was an early early series and binge reader. Today, oh, you know, I. I've mentioned Barbara Taylor Bradford. I love her series. Ellen Hildebrand for Beach, for Women's Beach Fiction. I've read her Winter Series and the Paradise Series. Those are excellent. Other readers, oh, you know, I admire Alison Pataki, who has written a couple of books, not exactly series, but, but they are in, in a way The Accidental Empress and, and Cece, both about Cece. And then, oh, who else? Uh, for historical. Gil Paul, Lauren Willig, Kate Quinn, of course, Fiona Davis writes very stylish 1950s books, a lot of them set in New York, 50s and 60s, very interesting. And then there's some other independent authors, very, very top-selling, Pamela Kelly, Rachel Hanna, Kate Correll, women's fiction series, and I really enjoy uh, those books and I enjoy working with them too, they're friends. And so we have a great deal of fun together.
1: It's fantastic. Fiona Davis has actually been on the show. Yeah, her books are great, yeah.
2: Look, circling
1: around because we are starting to run out of time together, at this stage, if you were doing it all again, is there anything you'd changed? And if there is, what would it be?
2: Oh, you know, Looking back over life, as like anyone, I've had a lot of challenges, but honestly, I don't think I would change a thing because every challenge, I've learned something. I've learned and grown, and I wouldn't be the woman I am today had I not had those challenges. So I could say, oh, I wish I had published earlier in life. I wish I had as many books out as, you know, pick someone, Danielle Steele. But you know, we all have our own journey. And as long as I am reaching readers and I'm hearing from them, and I love to hear from readers, I get the sweetest stories and and from people who've said that their books have, have helped them during particularly difficult times. And, and especially this year, more than ever. You know, I think that I have a, a Facebook readers group. And I have a newsletter that goes out and and I share bits and pieces of my personal life or recipes, my basil recipe. I had a a fabulous crop this season, basil and tomatoes or tomatoes. And I just, I love to, to interact with readers. And I feel like this is our world, our thing that we've created. And I just love that. What does your next
1: 12 months look like? Were you badly impacted by the pandemic, and, and
2: how are you placed for the next 12 months in terms of the projects you've got on? Oh, yes. Well, you know, knock wood, I, <clears throat> we've been, my family's been healthy, and those friends and extended family members who have who have gone through COVID have come out fine. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful. I am sheltering in place quite a bit, <laughs> so I'm not getting out much. But then I was always a fan of home delivery groceries, and you know. <laughs> so I I have been staying at home. I have been writing an awful lot, so this has been a very very productive year. Coming up, Hepburn's Necklace. We're just on the eve of that now. I'm very excited to share that, and then I have the Coral Cafe coming out in the Summer Beach World and Seabreeze wedding I'm not telling who's getting married but or if they are but we'll see <laughs> see what happens <laughs> and then i have some other plans for another historical and uh, possibly another series but all of that's still in development at this point so and another christmas book for sure great that's wonderful tell me do you do you write through
1: a series and then go on to the next series or do you jump them around a bit
2: mm, good question Typically, I will write start to finish. However, with the Summer Beach series, I started that one at the Seabreeze Inn, and then I jumped over to Coral Cottage, and now I've jumped back. So it's all in the same world. But typically, when I write, whether it's a series or a book, I'll start and just go start to finish. And that's how I write my novels. I, I don't bother with editing. I'll turn around and I'll get that at the end. But the most important thing to me is get the story down. Now, I do love to research. So sometimes it's a little hard to get started to know when to stop researching and when to start the story. But once I do, I I don't look back. Look, you've mentioned that you love
1: to have interaction with your readers and we will put all of those links to the places that the readers can find you in the show notes for this episode. But just quickly recap, where can people find you if they... I'm now desperate to see your books
2: online. You're too kind. I'm at janmoran.com, cool. and then I am on Facebook as, I believe, Jan Moran Author or Jan Moran Books, and then I have a Facebook group as well that you can just tap on the door and I'll let you in. I have a newsletter that goes out monthly, just once a month generally, and, yes, I invite everyone in. You'll find me a little bit too on Twitter or Instagram. I keep up a bit there. I'll check in. But yeah, I just, I love to, to hear from people and I'm, I invite everyone over for a cup of tea or a cocktail and we'll watch the sunset together and, and share a good story.
1: That's great. I, I noticed on the, the sea breeze book, you referred to watching the sunset go down and the green flash. Now, I thought that was wonderful because I used to live on a West Coast beach in New Zealand and we used to sit on the beach and watch for the green flash.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. I think that's universal. You know, we laugh about it. And uh, so I have included that in a couple of books. And you know, the the name comes from a friend from, from New Zealand. Oh, really? Yes, yes. She was known for her sea breeze cocktails, which is ruby red grapefruit, cranberry juice, and vodka. And so she used to throw these cocktail parties at sunset and serve sea breezes. And you know, we've laughed about that. We've been friends for, for decades now. And so we've laughed about that a lot. And I and so when I was thinking about the name for the book, it just naturally came to me that this would be the sea breeze. And I have a recipe in the back of the book as well. <laughs> so tried and tested many times. <laughs> Sounds like something we should try for Christmas. I think so. <laughs> Wonderful talking, Jan. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you, Jenny. It's been such a pleasure. And I can't wait for your next book. Oh, that's sweet of you. Yeah, it's a labour of love. It sure is.
0: Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading.
1: The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at DC Services at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, Audioservices at gmail.com. Or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right, and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone as a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and tv presenter i think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm he is super easy to work with no matter what the job you'll find him at abe a b e at point and as i say full details in the show notes on the website that's it for now thanks for listening hopefully see you next week bye